Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. This morning, I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 31, a very familiar passage of Scripture to most of you, regarding the excellent wife. But we will focus our attention on verse 30. Let's hear the whole of the context of verse 30 by reading Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. Hear the Word of God. An excellent wife who can find. For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments, and sells them, and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Proverbs 31 describes an excellent wife and a godly woman. The excellent wife is not lazy, but industrious. Her hands are given to labor. Verse 15 says that she rises while it is still night and gives food to her household. Verse 27 says she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her tongue is not given to slander or gossip. Instead, verse 26 says she opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She does not neglect her family. She loves her family and does good to them. Verse 12 says that she does her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. Verse 27 says she looks well to the ways of her household. As a result, her family praises her. 
verses 28 and 29 says, Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Now the reason for all that she does is that she is a godly woman who fears the Lord. Therefore, in verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Her motivation for doing the things she does arises from her fear of the Lord, her faithfulness to her husband, her care for her household, her labor for their welfare, her consideration for the poor, her words of wisdom, her acts of kindness. They all flow from this one thing. She is a woman who fears the Lord. She loves her husband and her children because she loves the Lord. She serves her family because she serves the Lord. This is a godly woman. This is an excellent wife. And it tells us at the beginning in verse 10 that excellent wives are rare and of great value. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. Ladies, if you would be a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother, then you must fear the Lord. You must give attention to your soul and your relationship to God. In contrast to that, the world places value upon externals. But you must place value on the heart. The world praises a woman who is beautiful externally, but God is concerned with the heart. So ladies, which is more important to you? What consumes you? What is your priority? The fear of the Lord or external beauty? For charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. If we are to value the fear of the Lord above all else, then we must guard against the strong pull of this world. The pull of this world is really for us to boast in externals, things that are temporal. Pride is at the root of it all. And that is really at the, the root of all of our sin is pride. And so the world is trying to conform us to its image. But the Bible says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. But we have to be careful to be transformed and think rightly and biblically about these things. The emphasis of the world is on what is external. But a godly woman is concerned with her heart, her soul, and her relationship to God. Now in this verse, verse 30, there are two contrasting lines of thought. There are two things contrasted. The external is contrasted with the internal. Charm and beauty are contrasted with the fear of the Lord. The former, charm and beauty, which is often praised and valued in the world, is said to be deceitful and vain. The latter, the fear of the Lord, is said to be praiseworthy. Now, this 
brings us to a helpful interpretive principle. It's called Hebrew parallelism. In interpreting and meditating on the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament, and in particular today in Proverbs 30, verse 31, it's important to understand and observe what is called Hebrew parallelism. This stark contrast in verse 30 flows out of a literary device known as Hebrew parallelism. And so throughout the pages of the Old Testament, we find this. The Jewish people communicated and taught by way of parallel thoughts, often in the form of couplets or sometimes triplets. And therefore, throughout the Old Testament, in particular in wisdom literature, that is Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, and here we see or in Proverbs, but even in other places that you're reading your Bibles, in the prophets, sometimes you find this symmetrical arrangement of parallel lines. It's Hebrew parallelism. And there are three broad categories of Hebrew parallelism. There is synonymous parallelism, antithetic parallelism, and then synthetic parallelism. Now you might find more specific definitions and more nuanced definitions, but these are three broad categories. There is what we call synonymous parallelism. In synonymous parallelism, the second thought in a couplet says something similar to the first line. It's synonymous with it. It just says it in other words. So they're parallel thoughts, and the second thought or line it's really saying the same thing as the first line, just in other words. That's synonymous parallelism. We see that here in Proverbs 31, verse 20. When it says, she extends her hand to the poor, and then the second line of the couplet says, she stretches out her hand to the needy. It's not saying something new or different. It's synonymous, but it emphasizes it. The poor and the needy. She extends her hand to them. She stretches out her hands to the needy. That's an example of synonymous parallelism. But then we have antithetic parallelism. In antithetic parallelism, the second thought or line of the couplet is the opposite or is in contrast to the first thought. We find that in places like Proverbs 15 verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but... A harsh word stirs up anger. So we see there's a contrast there. On the one hand, there's a gentle answer. But then there's a harsh word. The gentle answer turns away wrath. But the harsh word stirs up anger. And so it says the opposite in order to emphasize how important it is to give a gentle answer. Because if you give a harsh answer, it might stir up more anger rather than turn it away. So that's an example of antithetic parallelism. Then there's synthetic parallelism. In synthetic parallelism, the second thought or line of the couplet advances or adds to the thought of the first line in some way. Proverbs 15 verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And then the next line says, Watching the evil and the good. It's in every place, but then it adds to it, emphasizing that he sees everything, yes, but he's watching carefully the evil and the good. Nothing escapes his eye. Or Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 
But then it adds to the thought. The righteous run into it and is safe. We see this synthetic parallelism in Proverbs 31 verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? That's the rarity of an excellent wife. But then it adds to the thought, the the value of it. For her worth is far above jewels. So as you're reading in wisdom literature, even in the prophets at time, they write in this Hebrew Hebrew parallelism, you see it in various forms. It will help you in interpreting and understanding the scriptures. Here in Proverbs 31 verse 30, we have antithetic parallelism. Two things are contrasted. In the first line, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But here's now a contrasting thought. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So charm and beauty is contrasted with the fear of the Lord. A woman who gives her attention to charm and beauty is contrasted with a woman whose life is directed by the fear of the Lord. One, he says, is deceitful and vain, but the other garners praise. The contrast given in this verse is between a woman whose eyes are set on things below and the woman whose eyes are set on things above. It is a contrast between the woman who is concerned more with the things that are temporal and fleeting with the woman who is concerned with things that are eternal and lasting. The contrast is between the woman who is concerned more with man's approval and what he sees instead of God's approval and what he values and sees. It's a contrast really between a worldly woman and a godly woman. And in the broader context of the book of Proverbs as a whole, this excellent wife stands in stark contrast with the adulterous woman described earlier in Proverbs, in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Now, as we look at this particular verse, we're going to see application all along the way, and then we'll end with really going back to how does this apply to you as women How does it apply to you as husbands? How does it apply to you as young women or young men? And we'll come back to that application in the end, but we'll also see some application along the way. Look at Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Here are some things we learn from this verse. First, we learn from this verse that we should not make hasty judgments based on what is merely external. We should not make hasty judgments based on what is merely external. This is our tendency. We often make judgments based on what is merely external, what we see with our eyes. Now, I'm not saying that we cannot sometimes learn Something about a person by what we see. Sometimes you can. As I have said, clothing communicates. When we were going through Titus 2 recently, when we saw the woman who's reverent in her behavior, one of the ways that manifests itself is in how she dresses, how she presents herself with her modesty, not being indecent on the one hand or flamboyant on the other. 
When you look at a person, sometimes how they dress communicates something about the heart. However, we must be careful not to be deceived by externals or be hasty to make positive judgments based on simply what we see. Man looks at outward appearance, but God sees more than that. He's concerned with the heart. We find an example of that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You know 1 Samuel 16, the, the occasion is replacing King Saul who has been rejected by God. And this is communicated to Samuel the prophet. And he is sent by God to anoint a new king after God had rejected Saul as king of Israel. And 1 Samuel 16 verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. So God reveals to Samuel, one of Jesse's sons will be the new king that I will anoint as king over Israel. And what was God's standard for choosing a new king? Well, it goes on to tell us in 1 Samuel 16 verse 6 that when they entered... Samuel looked at Eliab and thought. He saw Eliab and he looked at his external appearance and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He must be the one. As he looked at him, as he saw his appearance, this must be the one that God will anoint as the new king in Israel. But then it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, Because I have rejected him. For God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so there, some very important principles are told to us. That we tend to see by just looking at outward appearance. We make judgments based on outward appearance. But God says that he looks at the heart. In Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They wanted to appear outwardly, externally, to look a particular way, to look beautiful, to look righteous, But God saw the heart and he knew that inside they were like graves full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you see, we must be careful not to make hasty judgments based on what is merely external. And Proverbs 31 verse 30 warns us against this in one particular area. A person may appear charming, but deceit may be lurking. A person may be beautiful in appearance, but wicked in heart. And so we learn from this verse that we should not make hasty judgments based on what is merely observed externally, what is seen. Secondly, we learn from this verse that we should not place too much value on first impressions or on external appearance. Instead, 
We should place value on proven character observed over time. Let me repeat that. We learn from this verse that we should not place too much value on first impressions or on external appearance. Instead, place value on proven character observed over time. Now you've heard the saying, what you see is what you get. No, sometimes we're deceived by what we see and what we perceive. Sometimes someone can appear to be charming, but can be deceiving us. And so that's what verse 30 is saying. Charm is deceitful. A woman can appear charming, but appearances can be deceptive. Now the word here, translated charm, is a Hebrew word that means favor, grace, or elegance. And it can sometimes refer to physical appearance. The person is elegant in appearance. Sometimes the word can refer to someone who's trying to be acceptable in the eyes of someone else. They're trying to be charming. They're trying to gain someone's approval. And in this case, in a deceptive way. However, uh, so what's described here in verse 30 is a woman who appears graceful. She appears elegant. Her appearance externally would commend her in many ways. She's charming. However, that elegance, that charm, is deceitful. The word deceitful here means a number of things. It has many nuances. It's the idea, again, of deception, but also can be translated a disappointment or a betrayal or a fraud. And so the proverb is saying charm is a disappointment. Charm is a fraud. It's a scam. It's a hoax. It's a racket. Sometimes the charming person is not genuine. Now this word charm sometimes even carries the idea of flattery. And this gets to what's behind the facade. Behind the elegance and charm may not be anything more than a desire to please you without any substance of character behind it. It it sounds more like the evil, adulterous woman in Proverbs 6. Her goal is to appeal to a man by her external beauty and with her flattering words. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. Proverbs 6, verse 20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Here we have again in Proverbs, as we have in the rest of Scripture, the example that fathers and mothers are to instruct their children, they're to bring them up, they're to teach them, they're to give commandments, they're to give instruction, the father and the mother. And here in Proverbs, it says, My son, it's a father appealing with, pleading with his son, observe my commandments, do not forsake the teaching of your mother. But verse 21, instead, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. And so he's talking about the value of of a father and mother who are teaching 
teaching their children consistently with the truth of God's word. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs even, not just positive instruction, but reproofs and correction. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. It's for your good. Children, just hear that a minute. It's not the the main subject of what I'm preaching on this morning, but just hear those words a minute. That as you have godly parents who are teaching you God's Word, it's like a lamp. It's like light to your path. It's for your good. And even when they reprove you and correct you and discipline you, it is a way to life. It's for your good. So heed that. Listen to it. And one of the areas of instruction from parents to sons should include a warning against sexual morality in the sensual woman. So he says in verse 24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So here you have the evil woman. Her evil is demonstrated by her adultery. In fact, she is an adulteress. The purpose of the commandments and reproofs of the godly father and mother here is to keep you from her, to guard you from her. And notice how she is described. She has a smooth tongue. The New King James says it this way, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. So here it's translated a flattering tongue. So the idea is she uses her words to seduce you. She she may appear charming in some way, but really she's trying to seduce you with her flattery. Verse 25 says she's trying to capture you with her eyelids. She's attractive. She's appealing. Yet she is an evil woman. In chapter 7, verse 10, she's described as cunning of heart. So her words are smooth. Her ways may appear charming to you, but beware. She flatters with her lips in order to appeal to your pride. For that is how she seduces you. So here you have this sinful charm. Here's a a charming woman. And she she has smooth words. She uses her tongue to flatter. And it draws you in because of pride. But at heart, she's an evil woman. Now let me just remind you of something I've alluded to before. This is one of the downfalls when we fall into sexual sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. One of the reasons is because of the boastful pride of life. You remember in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, it describes the world as being characterized by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And we often rightly associate that with sexual immorality. There are certain sinful sexual desires that characterizes the world, and we need to be on guard against those things. But those two things are not separated from a third area, the boastful pride of life. So let me just exhort you men for a moment again. One of the ways that we as men, women too, but in particular men, are drawn into sexual immorality, sinful thoughts, is not only by the eye gate, but a prideful heart. Here we have in Proverbs 6, she has a smooth tongue. She knows what to say to to draw him in. 
to appeal to his pride. And often what men need to deal with, anyone, man or woman, but I'm talking to you men, what we need to deal with and be sanctified in in order to be sexually pure is to be humble men. Because what we're often drawn to is in sexual morality, it builds you up. It tells you, you can be like this. You can please a woman in this way. And we're drawn into sexual immorality by the boastful pride of life. Do you not see that when you you see it, whether it's the adulterous woman who is boastful and boisterous, but then she flatters with her tongue. She speaks words that that makes him think she's really attracted to him and she tries to draw him in. In his pride, he goes the way of unrighteousness. There's a connection of sexual immorality, not just with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, but with the boastful pride of life. It's in pride that we go that way. And so here you have this evil woman. She's flattering with her lips, appealing to pride. And so here's a woman who's charming to you. Her, her speech is smooth and flattering, but it's deceitful. The charm is just to entice you to join her in her evil ways. Proverbs 6, verses 26 and 27. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Her charm appears to give you something pleasurable, but in the end, it shows itself for what it is. It's deceitful and damning. Now back to Proverbs 31, verse 30. This is what that one phrase is saying. Charm is deceitful. Charm that's manifested in various ways. It may appear externally to be elegant and graceful and beautiful. It's charming and it's flattering. But yet it's deceitful. So let me repeat, we must learn from this verse that we should not place too much value on first impressions and on external appearance. Instead, we need to place value on proven character observed over time. A person may appear to be charming, but what is beneath the surface is what we need to be asking. What is in the heart? What is the person really like? And that takes time to observe. The trials and tribulations of life will bring out a person's true character. In the difficulties and troubles and trials of life, charm will not be sustained. We tend to focus on what we see immediately with our eyes rather than observe the character of a person over time. But your eyes will only give you a rapid assessment of that which is external. The character of a person can only be seen over time. Honesty takes time to see. Holiness takes time to observe in the life of a person. A person's life under the spotlight of God's Word over time will accurately evaluate the state of a person's soul. So do not place too much value on first impressions. Do not place too much value on external appearance. Instead, place value on proven character observed over time. The godly woman and wife in Proverbs 31 is known by her life, by her actions over time. Her external appearance is not the focus. 
Her relationships have been observed. People see and observe how she conducts herself, how she treats her family, how she conducts herself in the community. Her activities are seen. Her motives then begin to be seen by how she lives her life over time. She's gained a reputation in the community, not by someone looking at her, but by someone seeing a character forged over time, when the snow comes, when the trials come, when the difficulties come, when things are going well, how she relates in the home to her family, how she relates to others, how she speaks of her husband, what comes out of her mouth. So don't evaluate based on what she appears to be with her smooth, flattering, and charming ways and words. But observe the life. Ladies, what is the state of your soul? And how do you evaluate that? What is your focus? Ladies, are you trying to be charming or are you seeking godly character? These are very probing questions. So we learn from this verse that we should not make hasty judgments based on what is merely external. That we should not place too much value on external appearance. And that we shouldn't place too much value on first impressions, instead on proven character of a person over time. But thirdly, I want you to notice that this verse teaches us the temporary nature of external beauty. This is very important, just a very basic truth that really can transform our lives if we take it to heart. This verse teaches us the temporary nature of external beauty. Charm is deceitful, and then it says beauty is vain. The word vain means empty, of no lasting value, fading away. The New King James translates it that way. Beauty is passing. It's fleeting, just like other things in this world. What beauty we may have A person may have beauty, but it's affected by our fallen state. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says the outer man is decaying. In 1 Peter 1 verse 24, all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of grass. And what happens to grass? What's your grass doing right now? The grass withers, and the flower falls off. So it is with our bodies. Our bodies are decaying. It's withering. Whatever flower of beauty there is in youthful years, the flower fades. Ultimately, it falls off. There is a beauty that comes with youth. There are fewer blemishes and wrinkles in the younger years. Youthful metabolism typically guards the body in various ways. But this I know for sure. The glory of youth will fade just as the flower fades. It does not last forever. External beauty is temporary. Therefore, it is vain. It's of no lasting value. Charles Bridges wrote in his commentary on Proverbs, One fit of sickness sweeps it away. And even while it remains, it is little connected with happiness. The world promotes it that way. If you're beautiful, you're happy. 
and they promote it with their philosophies. If you're beautiful, you have a good self-esteem and that's the key to living a happy life. No, it's not. Consider this. Beauty will not keep you from getting sick. It will not keep you from getting diseases. External beauty will not guard you from trials and suffering. External beauty will not grant you peace in relationships. Beauty does not guard your soul from troubles. It does not keep you from temptations. It does not keep you from the schemes of the evil one. Beauty does not curb the lust of the flesh. And beauty certainly does not commend you to God. It's vain. But yet that's what the world places value on. Isn't it amazing? There have been studies that have been done about people's reactions to things and people that are beautiful. Someone might treat a dog in one way if it's a a cute little dog versus some dog that's not cute. They'll, They'll respond in different ways. You'll respond differently to the waitress who's attractive than you will to the waitress who's not. Studies have shown that people respond differently based on externals. We place this value on external beauty, but yet it's of no eternal value. Since beauty is fleeting and temporary and vain, don't place more value on it than it deserves. There is a bondage in trying to be what the world wants you to be. There is a bondage in focusing on charm and beauty. There's another phrase. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Well, if you're trying to place value on beauty as the world sees it, then you'll always be changing depending on what the world says is beautiful. But God doesn't change. What He esteems will not change. What does God think of you should be the question, not what does the world think of you. And again, God sees the heart. The question is this, when God sees your heart, what does He see? Ladies, how much time do you spend on your outward appearance? Now, of course, you should spend time on your outward appearance. You shouldn't be unkempt or sloppy. If you are, that might be a sign of an undisciplined heart and an undisciplined life. However, the point is that you should not give more attention to and place more value on external appearance than you're giving attention to and placing value on the state of your soul. External beauty is temporary. Give attention to that which is eternal. You've heard me preach on 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 before. It says, For bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so, it's not as though we don't give attention to our bodies or our appearance. We should. But bodily discipline and giving attention to the externals is of little profit, Godliness, holiness, the fear of God is profitable for all things in this life and in the one to come. And so we need to give attention 
to godliness because godliness is more profitable than a sculptured body. Holiness is more important than fitness. Killing sin is more important, as you've heard me say, than pumping iron. And so we need to give attention to the heart, to the fear of God, for beauty is vain, it's empty, it's ultimately temporary, and it's of no spiritual value. I've never been to a funeral where beauty and physical fitness is the theme. And if there ever has been one, how sad. Again, this doesn't mean you don't take care of your body. It may be that discipline and godliness will lead you to have more bodily discipline and spend more time in the gym than you currently do. And it certainly doesn't mean that if you have an injury or you have surgery or something of that nature that you don't give hard work to rehabilitation. The point is that we must place value on that which is eternal over that which is temporal. Beauty is temporary and fleeting. But godliness holds promise for this present life and the one to come. It's profitable for both. So we learn from this verse that we should not make hasty judgments based on what is merely external. We should not place too much value on first impressions with the eyes or external appearance, but on proven character over time. And this verse teaches us the temporary nature of external beauty. But then we see the contrast. This is what really matters. This is not temporal, but this has eternal benefits. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. This should be the focus. And this is the theme of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord to honor and reverence Him, to live life with this holy reverence, this holy fear of God. And and when that's there, when you do a study of the fear of the Lord, you see that one of the characteristics of the fear of the Lord is obedience to His Word. Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Hebrew parallelism. What does that look like? Here's synthetic parallelism. It adds to what the fear of the Lord is. Who greatly delights in His commandments. Or Psalm 128, verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Synthetic parallelism adding to what fear of the Lord looks like. Who walks in His ways. To fear God means to delight in His commandments. To to walk in His ways. To walk in uprightness, Proverbs 14, verse 2. This fear of the Lord means to turn away from evil, Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So this fear of the Lord is focused on being Obedient to God, delighting in His ways, delighting in His Word, walking with Him, turning away from evil, pursuing holiness, walking the path of righteousness for His namesake. This is what matters. 
And the proverb says here, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Are we praising external beauty or are we praising the fear of the Lord? What are we valuing as the people of God? Not just you ladies, but what are we valuing as the people of God? What do we assign value to? What do we praise? I think we have to just be careful and make sure that we're not praising our children because they're cute or beautiful. Because we might subtly be teaching them that that's what they need to give attention to. Now again, it's not that you don't commend them for those things and you don't tell them that they're cute or beautiful. But I'm saying we have to be careful to say, you know what is praiseworthy? We need to teach our children that that beauty will fade. An accident, a sickness, age, it will fade. But the woman who should be praised is the woman who fears the Lord. So let me just close with some brief application. First of all, to all women, younger and older, Ladies, if you would be a godly woman, as I said, you must fear the Lord. You must give attention to your soul. You must place value on the things that God values. So ladies, which is more important to you? To look young or to be spiritually mature? To have less wrinkles or less sin? To be noticed by men for your external appearance? Or to be noticed for your godliness to the glory of God? Ladies, which is more important to you, to have a figure that draws attention from other men or to have a character and disposition that brings praise to God? Which is more important to you, to adorn fine clothes or to adorn and beautify the gospel? Ladies, you must value godliness over a pretty face. You must value the fear of God over a good figure. For charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Husbands, this is what you should be encouraging your wife in. You should be praising her and praising God for godliness. Your focus should be on that in her life. And God has called you to be like Christ to the church and to her glory to be not in her external appearance, but in her holiness. And so men, do you put expectations on your wife that are ungodly? Do you want your wife to spend the majority of her time on physical appearance or on godliness? Are you communicating to your wife that you love her more for her appearance or because she's your wife? Are you committed to her spiritual growth? Men, if you choose to love your wife for her beauty, then your love will last as long as she is beautiful. And your love will fade even as she fades in earthly temporal beauty. And by the way, how inconsistent is it for you to want to be loved for who you are, but then to love her for her appearance? Men, don't place such a burden upon your wife. 
Praise her for her godliness and her fear of God. Encourage her in those things. And in that way, lead her. And encourage her to fear the Lord. Mothers and fathers, make sure you teach your children, your boys and your girls, the value of godliness over external beauty. Make sure that even when you think about coming to church and you dress a little differently than you dress the rest of the week, that the focus is not on what you look like when you come to church. Now again, there's always balance here and there. We don't come in flip-flops, tank tops. There's an appropriate way in certain settings and it's appropriate to the occasion. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about make sure that you're teaching your boys and your girls that yes, we dress differently on this day, but don't let the focus be on you. It's not a day to show off your new dress. It's not a day to show off something you just bought. It's not a day to show off your shoes. It's a day to worship God. Make sure you're teaching your children to value godliness over external beauty. To you young women, This is what you should be. You should be a woman who fears the Lord. Do you want to be an excellent wife? Maybe you're unmarried. And you're looking forward to, and you want to be a wife one day, and you genuinely want to be an excellent wife, a godly wife to a husband that he might bring to you one day. Then focus on this, fearing the Lord. For charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And to you young men, this is what you should seek in a wife. Seek after a godly woman. Don't just look at external appearance. Sometimes external beauty masks and covers dangerous corruptions and sin. Young men, as you pray and you seek A wife, look for godliness and and know what the fear of the Lord looks like in Scripture and be looking for that. For if you just look at external appearance, you can be deceived. There's a particular shrub, a flowering shrub shrub called an oleander. I'm not familiar with that. How many of you know what an oleander is? Okay, how many of you have oleanders in your yard? Okay, you don't. That's good. You know why? Because it's a beautiful flowering shrub, but it's poisonous. And from what I've read, that contact even with the sap on the skin can, can cause irritation, and some even get disoriented and can have a seizure from it. It's beautiful externally, but unsuspecting, not knowing there's, there's poison in its petals. Again, young men, if you're seeking after a beautiful woman, hear the word of God. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Let me conclude with a quote by Matthew Henry, the commentator. He wrote a commentary on the whole Bible. He said this, Beauty recommends none to God. Nor is it any certain indication of wisdom and goodness, but it has deceived many a man who has made his choice of a wife by it. There may be an impure, deformed soul lodged in a beautiful body. Many have been exposed by their beauty to such temptations as 
have been the ruin of their virtue, their honor, and their precious souls. Beauty is fading at best, and therefore vain and deceitful. He said, like bridges, a fit of sickness will stain and sully it in a little time. A thousand accidents may blast this flower in its prime. Old age will certainly wither it, and death and the grave will consume it. But the fear of God reigning in the heart is the beauty of the soul. It recommends those who have it to the favor of God and is in His sight of great price. The fear of God will last forever and bid defiance to death itself, which consumes the beauty of the body, but consummates the beauty of the soul. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are bombarded with the philosophies and worldliness of this world. It's all around us constantly. We see it constantly. We hear it constantly. It's fed to us in various ways, subtly, and sometimes not so subtly. And we are prone to be conformed to the world. I pray that being reminded of this truth from Scripture might transform our thinking that we would think rightly and biblically about these things, that we might be conformed to godliness. Father, I pray that we would think rightly about external appearance and giving attention to those things that are merely external. Lord, I pray that we'd be good stewards of our bodies, for they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you have made us not only soul, but body and soul. There is a relationship between the two. We want to be good stewards of the bodies, fallen though they are. Father, I pray that we would give attention to that which is eternal. and That we would give attention to our souls. And as we fear you, and as we love you, and as we grow in holiness, that that would affect how we view our bodies, and how we dress, and how we present ourselves Father, I pray it wouldn't be in the boastful pride of life, but in humility of holiness. Father, I pray for the the ladies in our church, as they in particular seem to be bombarded with the things of the world, and I pray that they would think rightly about these things, that they would not be in bondage to charm and beauty as though those things are ultimately a true indication of the soul. Father, I pray that instead they would fear you. I pray that we as men, husbands, fathers, with the women that you have given in our households, that we would care for their souls by praising them for their fear of you rather than for their external appearance. And Father, we thank you that indeed you do look at our hearts. And Father, we know that there, because of Christ, Lord, we've been redeemed by your grace. 
We have been saved by your mercy. So we pray that we would be those who would be conformed more to the image of Christ, that there would be the beauty of holiness in our lives. And we pray, Father, that that would be extended to how we speak and how we live in relationship with others and Lord, how we live in the world and that there would be proven godly character. And as we do so, Father, may we beautify and adorn the gospel. And may that be our concern. Above all else, may we give glory to you, the one who has saved us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.